Anytime I hear the words of John 1-1 read aloud, I am instantly taken back to the Sunday school classroom where a group of preteens were working on memorizing Bible verses because that was the kind of church I grew up in where we memorized Bible verses. Like many perfectionistic children, I loved being good at things. And John 1-1 was probably one of the memory verses that I got down the best. So I would recite it often. And maybe this is even where my deep love for the gospel according to John comes from. I love how John presents the good news of God and Christ. I like that of the four Gospels, John's is the one that sticks out like a sore thumb. I like how John presents the life and death and resurrection of Jesus in a way that seems to make sense to me. Because for John, everything about Christ is about love and community. And I like the gospel according to John, because there is this strange tinge of a metaphysical spin on what it means for God to become incarnate. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John does not begin his gospel with the genealogy of Christ like Matthew or Luke, but rather casts the net a bit broader and goes all the way back to the origins of the universe. That the word, that Christ, was always with God and always was God. It's a bit of a mind-bender, one that can never fully be understood, and I think that's why, in my opinion, this explanation of the origins of Christ is kind of perfect. Because who can ever really grasp the reality of the Trinity. Of all the apostles, it is only John that has been granted the title of apostle and theologian by the church over the years. John's life and witness is one that orients us not just to following Christ, but to the reality of the divine. John doesn't wade into a shallow understanding of what it means to follow Christ because he, only wa- because he wants to not only point us how we ought to live, but why. Why should Christians make the choices that they make? John doesn't want to just tell us that Christ was born to Mary in a manger, but also why did God become Incarnate. Written sometime between the years 90 and 100 AD, John's Gospel is the oldest of the four. And I think it can be hard for us to understand the context in which he was writing and in which this Gospel was shared. Many first, Christian, first century Christians thought that Jesus would come back in their lifetime. There's disappointment and confusion. There was a growing hostility between Christians and Jewish leadership. And the Jewish temple in Jerusalem had been desecrated and destroyed by the Romans just a few decades beforehand, the grief of which no doubt was still at play. 
And we know specifically that it's not hard to imagine the hatred and violence that surrounded those who would hear John's gospel read. It's not hard to imagine the Holy Land in violent turmoil, where hope has begun to feel like a distant memory. And then John drops this line that is perpetually important. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. We live in a world where it is terrifyingly easy to be aware of how much darkness surrounds us. It is so easy to have a heart burdened with all the difficult things of this world, and sometimes it feels like the only thing we can do to survive it is to tune it out, to turn on all the artificial lights we can, But if I can push back on this collective impulse, there is a way to stay tender to the pain of this world. But it requires us to trust what John says. That the light really does shine in the darkness. And we don't have to grasp for extra or artificial light because the darkness will not overcome it. Christmas tide is not just a time to celebrate Christ's birth, the birth of our Savior, but to also honestly see the darkness of our world around and to celebrate that with Christ, the darkness will never overcome us. It's a big ask, I think, in today's world, to have this kind of hope. It's a big ask to imagine a world where we are not either numb or in denial of the darkness around us, but the Incarnation asks us to see God and the whole world differently. The Incarnation asks us to imagine a God that so deeply loves humanity that God would not only come into this world as a fragile child birthed by a young woman, but would also be willing to live a normal Tuesday. The Incarnation asks us to remember that Christ doesn't stay a child meek and mild but rather lives a life of radical love that was such a threat to the status quo that humanity would rather try to kill God than live a life marked by compassion and love. John, in his gospel, asked us to imagine the origins of the universe, that Christ always was with and was always a part of God. 
And Christmas asks us to hold close the birth of hope. But John doesn't let us stay in this metaphysical explanation of what the incarnation means for our lives. And neither does Christmas. My prayer as we go out into this world is that we can hold closely to the hope of Christmas anytime we fear the darkness creeping in. That we may enter this new year with a commitment to remaining soft and aware of the struggles of our fellow humans. And that we go out into the world renewed in our commitment and trust that the darkness will never overcome the light of Christ. Amen.